Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together, we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Welcome to Psyche Magic. I thought for this episode, it could be fun to dive into some experiential dream techniques. So much of what I will be talking about on this podcast is based on the work of dream researchers like Leslie Ellis and Montague Ullman, who advocate for appreciating the dream for what it is, instead of trying to quote unquote, figure it out. This often means practicing engaging with dream material in an experiential and embodied way, instead of simply intellectualizing about it. A method I really enjoy is called subjectivity, which means embodying different dreams elements subjectively, viewing each of the characters in dreams as part of our own psyche. This is especially interesting when that random classmate of yours from middle school shows up. With a difficult or confusing dream, it can be interesting to look at the different figures or characters as if they were parts of you, and notice how this changes the way you relate to them. As with any system of symbolic wisdom, such as tarot, there will always be multiple layers of meaning. So often in a society that leans too heavily on rationalism, we are tempted to ignore and discount that which is mysterious in favor of that which can be explained logically. Therapy, especially therapy that is geared towards exploring the unconscious, is a regular exercise in practicing this shift. Interestingly, Learning to tolerate uncertainty is the crux of so many evidence-based treatments for disorders such as OCD. But no matter how we package these ideas, the human psyche benefits from making way for questions and ambiguity rather than constantly chasing the dragon of certainty and answers. As one of my favorite writers and tarot experts, Jessica Dore, likes to say, solutions are a capitalist venture. With this, when we encounter a figure in a dream that feels intense or overwhelming, learning to ask questions and stay curious can be incredibly healing. Remembering that the murderous intruder is only threatening to the dream ego. Zooming out a bit, where and how might ego death be important or even helpful? Sometimes difficult dreams point to the precipice of transformation. Like a snake that sheds its skin, 
if we are going to continue to grow, something always has to get left behind. My guest today, Kiki Dombrowski, will echo this sentiment via a mysterious recent dream theme that she shares with us. Kiki is a writer, tarot reader, and overall magical unicorn of a human. It was my pleasure to speak with her, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Now, onward to my guest, Kiki Dombrowski. All right. So here we are. I'm here with Kiki Dombrowski. And I'm so excited to talk to you, Kiki. I feel like I, I discovered who you were just randomly, like on Facebook. And then the second I reached out to you, I got this really like warm, like generous response. And I was like, I need to know this person. She's awesome. So welcome. Oh, thank I'm you. I'm so glad you're so here. Much. I'm so happy that we've um, connected via the beautiful world, the internet world. And I know. I'm so grateful to be here and to talk with you. Yes. Yay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, okay. So I, this is becoming a tradition. So let's just see if we can continue it and carry it forward. Um, I would love to pull a tarot card for you just to Thank get started. You. Oh, I've got goosebumps. I'm so excited. I've already got the clear, what is this? Clear cognizant, clear, clear feelings. So I love the clear, it. The clear feelings are already flowing. I love it. <laughs> I love it too. Okay. So we will pull a card and the intention for this card as I'm shuffling is that this is just a little bit of guidance for our conversation. What would be an interesting, um, just kind of piece of symbolic information, a little something to keep in mind as we talk that will help our conversation be fruitful. I love it. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, here it is. Okay. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. Here's what I pulled. Are you ready? Yes. So ready. The nine of swords. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Now for the, for the <sighs> listeners, the nine of swords, you know, what's interesting Kiki is that I I've actually pulled this card in another interview. It's come up before, oh, wow. not surprisingly, because this card shows a woman who clearly has just woken up from probably what looks like a pretty intense nightmare. She's holding her head in her hands. She's looking like she's having a really rough time. There are nine swords lined up above her, above her in bed. Um, and so I'm curious, Kiki, like what are your associations with this card? Golly, you know, well, first of all, whenever I see that card, I just always say same because it is uh -huh. such a frequent visitor um, as somebody who has, I have a lot of anxiety. Um, so I don't know if that's TMI. I don't feel like it is with, with your wonderful background. And you your, know what? That is right on target. So I'm glad you feel comfortable yeah. sharing that. Yeah, I have I, I have a lot of severe anxiety. I have um, awkwardness. I'm one of those like quirky, anxious people, but I love everybody. So I think that it comes off as just being sweet and warm. But I always like on the inside, I feel like I'm just seething with nerves and worry. And so um, whenever I see the nine of swords, I recognize that as sort of an indicator that maybe I need to have a check-in with those feelings of nervousness and identify like if that. they're valid and if they are actually something based in reality. And um, I don't know, I wish I remember who said this, but I was listening to an interview with this fabulous woman and she said, how good can it get? 
you know, ask yourself, how good can it get? So whenever I see the nine of swords, I identify with the anxious side of my brain that might be saying things that are not based in reality and are probably also uncomfortable and negative. And so I like to say in that moment, how good could it get? Yes. And I love that card too, in many ways. I think there's a lot of symbolism in looking at the the boundaries behind her made by the swords. Yes. You know, what can we do to, to relieve her of that oppression, having that mm-hmm. hang over her head? And then she's also blanketed by the Zodiac signs. I was going to say, people don't realize this about this card, but yes, she has a blanket over her that has all of the different signs of the Zodiac portrait. Yeah which is just so beautiful. I love that too, because like when you're in a dream state, you feel a a, a real connection. And that's something I was thinking about when when I was considering some of the things that that you wanted to discuss. I really love dreams because it's a state where you have the opportunity to discover and maybe uncover messages from divinity or even the higher self. So I really think of it as this opportunity where you have this sort of like, universal wisdom coming through. And I always like look upwards and think of that. And so I think of the heavens and I think of the influence that the Zodiac has in our lives. What a beautiful, uh, this is your take on this card is such a kind of hopeful take, right? Because for so many of us who struggle with anxiety, it can feel so all consuming, but you are bringing up this beautiful point, which is that, is there a way that I can shift and reframe some of these thoughts? Because of course, being afraid is part of being human, but there's always more to discover in terms of, okay, what is there really to be afraid of? Right. Absolutely. Well, and thank you. I'm I'm glad you you see that as hopeful. The other thing I, I think of with this card too, is that this woman is obviously very alone. And it almost like, it's like she's barricaded by these swords. And one thing I like to think about as well is when we have anxiety, we feel very isolated. Mm -hmm. And the encouragement that I give people when they receive that card is to seek out the support systems that you need to help relieve that anxiety. And that could be therapy. It could be uh, a spiritual group. It could be meditation. It could be, I always call it a team. Like I have a team behind me that's hundred percent me up and it could be partnership. It could be friendship. It could be family, whatever it is. But sometimes the nine of swords is also a call to identify and honor the support system that you have that that's okay with you having anxiety and is okay with, with helping you walk through it and find some relief from it. Mm -hmm. This card is a perfect example for me of, yeah, this idea of checking back in, like checking in with the self, checking in with my team, my support system, like who am I maybe needing to invite some guidance from? I love that. In a moment like this. Yeah. Invitation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of invitation, even in that twilight card and that dark card, there's invitation to you know, ask for help. I mean, and that's also a place it's, it's very interesting too, because like, if you hold up that card next to maybe even the four of swords, which shows somebody who's almost in this, like this state of peace and they're praying, mm-hmm. this person is up and they're not praying. They're all, it, it's like, I almost think yeah. of it as an invitation, like you're rising up, you know, in prayer. And I, I use the word prayer, but however you define your conversation with Connection. God or the universe. Yeah. Well, I don't care if it's called, if it's, you know, you visiting the Akashic records or praying to God or lighting a candle or meditating 
or, or, or speaking with your ancestors, it's an invitation. You're awake and they can be awake for you too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Cool. Well, so that will, that will be a card that kind of guides our conversation and that we keep coming back to. Very interesting. Very interesting. I know. So, okay. I would love to hear from you, Kiki. You mentioned that you have kind of a dream theme that you wanted to discuss today. And I think those are so fun because I love to watch the way that they play out during different phases of our lives. So I'm going to hand it over to you and you just share with us and we'll dive in. I love this, by the way, this is just like (laughs) the coolest thing. Like I feel, I feel like this is very like therapeutic for me to even talk Mm. about it because it has been a recent dream theme. Mm -hmm. So I have yet to unravel the mystery of the symbolism in this dream. And so maybe you're going to guide me through an aha moment, or maybe even somebody who's listening is like, dude, I know what's going on. I (laughs) love that. Bring it, right? (laughs) Yeah. This is why I think this is why it's so important to share our dreams. You never know who among us is going to have a connection or have some insight. So exactly. So again, that nine of swords, it's like, I don't need to be isolated about right. I'm seeking the advice and wisdom of others. So very cool. Absolutely. So, um, this year has obviously been very busy for me because I've, I've written a book and I'm very busy with, with a lot of writing. I'm already knee deep in two other writing projects. (laughs) So I'm doing a lot. And, and, and I've, I've been very fortunate where I've just, you know, met so many incredible people like you and, and, and others who are just part of this, this world of, um, I'm just going to use some, some bigger words, mysticism and mystery and, and unraveling some of the secrets that may be given to us through symbols. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so thankful for that because I'm, I just love that community because we're all just in it together to just have this higher experience. (sighs) And so through these sort of motions of being really deeply involved and intrigued by these people who are deep in the mysticism and the esoteric world and and the symbols and, and the magic uh, and the world of the secrets and the other world, I started to have these dreams this year mm-hmm. of a red crystal. Mm. And it's happened now. I've had dreams maybe two or three times now, but they're powerful yeah. and they stick. They stick to me. They don't go. Um, Cause you exactly. know, exactly. You have the ones that are kind of a little more fleeting, a little more, you, you don't feel that strong sort of connective cord. But so these are bigger, what we like to call bigger dreams for you. They're big deal dreams. Um, And the first one happened, oh gosh. What happens in all these dreams is that I am seeking out a red crystal Mm -hmm. and it is a delicious, I mean, like, and I I mean, delicious is in you look at it and you just take it in and it's a a sensory and an extra sensory experience to be in space with whatever this red crystal is. And it's always large. It's, you know, right now I'm holding a rhodochrosite and it's petite. It fits in my palm. Mm-hmm. In in the dream, whatever this red crystal is, it's it's almost like, I would say like, maybe like a softball or a grapefruit. Oh, yeah. So it's a big, heavy crystal. Mm-hmm. And I'm either searching for it or I've found it, or I'm exchanging it with somebody else wow. and somebody else that I know. So it's always, it's always like I, I, I don't know. So the first time I had this dream, I was running through the forest and it felt very uh, mountainous. It wasn't like a, it was like a very 
Appalachian. It was very ancient woods and Mm. it was warm. It was sunny and I needed to cool off. So I jumped in what I felt was a shallow stream, but it wasn't shallow. It was very deep. And I swam down and down and down. And it was almost like this, like like an Indiana Jones moment. It was like this aha, like I uncovered this. <gasps> like a treasure. Yeah, I, I uncovered this beautiful gem or red crystal from the depths. And from the um, depths. And 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 it was this don't lose sight of this gem. You this this gem is a treasure. You need to mm-hmm. remember this treasure. And so that was the first time I encountered it. And then another time I encountered it again, it was water. I have a lot of water in my dreams. Oh, do I? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there's the, so there's the way that it started, which is sort of diving into the depths. Again, I, you assumed that it was shallow. It was not, it was, it was this really deep body of water. And at the bottom is where you found this treasure. And then how did that dream end? It, it always ends the same. I'm okay. looking at the stone and yeah. going, what the hell is this? And I haven't figured it out. Oh God. Like, I feel like crying. Like, I'm like, oh, because I'm going through so many personal transformations right now. Okay. Like my life is in a very transitory state mm-hmm. and I'm doing a lot of uncovering of personal identities. Wow. And they're deep. And it's, it's like even stuff that I'm still private about. Like I, and I, yes. I, I do have a, I do have a therapist. Yes. And it's interesting too. red. I always align with root chakra. Yes. And I'm doing a lot of work. I have a lot of health. Um, and, and I, I feel safe saying it here. I'm, <sighs> I, I have uterine fibroids yeah. and I also have endometriosis. And so it's interesting to have that red and kind of like align it with that sort of like, how do I heal this feminine energy physically wow. and spiritually? Wow. So that red could represent represent even like my lower chakras getting it yes. up. <laughs> Absolutely. Al- being able to align with those energies amidst the difficulty and pain that you're dealing with. Yeah. It's, it's been an interesting few months. So, wow. so I, I look at it that way too. I guess I, I haven't even thought about, see, I know I already knew just talking to you, I would get this discovery moment. Good. Um, yeah. And it's interesting too, though, because in other dreams with this red crystal, I give it to other people. I was going to say, that's a really interesting element. There's something about not only discovering this for yourself, but there's something to be shared. And it's interesting. It's almost like this crystal holds some sort of wisdom that people can, it's like decipher. And so, you know, just to, to honor the privacy of the people with whom I'm exchanging this within my dreams. Fair um, enough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's people that I know just within this world, this, you know, mystical, uh, magical, witchy, supernatural, paranormal world, you know, uh-huh. it's people from there where I'm handing it off and almost saying like, here, don't lose this. Don't this lose is really this. valuable. This is really precious don't forget about this. And I, and that's a thing that keeps coming up in the dreams too. Either I hear a voice or I speak it. Don't forget this. Don't forget this. Mm-hmm. So like not, not only don't forget this in terms of this is a big dream, like hold on to it. Yes. Right. But mm-hmm. also don't forget that. Don't forget this experience that you're having. Yes. And that. That is maybe a question for you is what is the experience of being with this stone in your dreams? What's it feel like? Ooh, and you know, and and that was something you had asked prior to talking and I thought about it and I heard two words, sexually seeking. Wow. 
I don't know what that means. That was a Claire audience moment for me. That was what I heard. So, you know, a card that we did not pull today, but a card that has been a continuous repetitive theme for me this summer has been the Empress. And I feel that she's also a sensual seeker. Sensual seeker. Mm -hmm. Yes. And her goal in this world is to encounter love from a multitude of perspectives yes and to offer love and to be a nurturer and to be a mother and to be a lover and to experience the human experience the third dimensional place that we're in but also recognize that in having this experience you get ever closer and closer to the mysteries, you're Mm -hmm. on the edge. There's a liminality to her as well. And when you look at the Rider-Waite-Smith card in particular, her throne sits in a field and in the edge of the forest. So that even, holy crap, like even think of the dream I just told you, running through the woods and diving Mm -hmm. into a stream and there's a stream in her card as well. Yes. Wow. So what lies below the surface? What lies within the woods? And, And those are all such liminal spaces that the river, what are, what is the boundary there? Mm-hmm. And then the edge of the woods and she's in this field that's ready to be harvested. And, and she's got this connection to the Demeter Persephone myth and yes. the pomegranate on her and the pomegranate also being that deep red. Mm-hmm. And so there can even be some sort of underworldly, you know, descent into the self mm-hmm. through the Empress and this ridiculous red crystal that follows me everywhere. In my that is, that is really trying to get your attention. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, that is fascinating. I really am. I'm really drawn to this idea. There's a quote from Pam Grossman. Are you familiar with her work? She has a podcast called the witch wave, but her book is called waking the witch. That's um, it. Yeah. <laughs> but she, she has a quote about this in which she says that for those of us who are, you know, walking the path of the witch, which can look so many different ways. It's really about having both an embodied human experience that is connected to all the living things around us and the earth while also having a transcendental experience at the same time. I love it. And I'm getting goosebumps as you say that too. It feels really important. And, you know, for me and for people with go circling back, people with anxiety, Mm -hmm. a lot of when you have anxiety and especially with that nine of swords you're mentally above and out of your body you're just all in your head right it's it's I almost think of it as like this out of body tornado experience that is how it feels Mm -hmm. and it's interesting too when people have anxiety after a while it starts to impact the physical body Mm -hmm. Uh, you have acid reflux you have headaches you don't sleep you you know may lose your appetite digestive issues i know panic attacks Mm -hmm. you know It, it starts to tread into the physical body so yeah it it, everything everything's fluid everything impacts each other yeah On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Let's learn about an A-list dream. In honor of my favorite holiday, Halloween, or Samhain in the pagan new year, during which the veil between worlds is said to be thinnest 
I thought it could be seasonally appropriate to discuss the dream-induced birth of one of our great monsters, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. At just 18 years old, Mary Shelley had a dream that would change her life. While staying with friends, including Lord Byron, in Geneva on vacation, their evenings would be spent terrifying each other with chilling ghost stories before bed. They decided to have a friendly competition for who could come up with the best original ghost story. On one of these nights, upon retiring for sleep, Mary Shelley writes, quote, I saw with shut eyes, but acute mental vision. I saw the pale student of the unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together. I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out, and then, on the working of some powerful engine, shows signs of life and stir with an uneasy, half-vital motion." Now, Shelley had recently traveled through southern Germany, not far from the centuries-old Frankenstein Castle near the town of Darmstadt. Some have speculated that she may have heard rumors swirling about the alchemist Johann Conrad Dippel, a controversial figure rumored to have robbed graves and experimented on corpses at Frankenstein Castle. On a personal level, Shelley had also endured many losses early in life, including her first two children as well as her sister. Perhaps the desire to bring back her loved ones helped these ideas take root in her subconscious. With all of these factors mixing and mingling in her unconscious mind, Shelley had her dream of the Frankenstein character, reported it to her friends the next morning, and the rest, as they say, is history. It was considered such a masculine novel that when published anonymously in the year 1818, as was common at the time for works written by women, many people attributed it to her husband. But, spurred on by this nocturnal intervention, Mary Shelley, a teenager without formal education, became one of the mothers of science fiction. So how has this dream kind of progressed for you? You know, I guess that how it's progressed is I've taken this sort of like symbol and I'm like, well, there must, surely there must be a red stone that I can equate this to in this world. And so I started to go, well, maybe it's cinnabar, maybe it's garnet. Mm. Um, how do I define this? Yeah, yeah, it's almost like I need to identify Mm -hmm. what this stone is and actually find this stone in this world. Mm -hmm. And I wonder too, if the people I see in these dreams with this stone are part of that adventure or there's an aspect of who they are that I need to dive into. See, there we go again with the water. Mm -hmm. I need to dive into this aspect of these people and, and recognize that, you know, maybe this is part of the, the exploration, yeah. um, finding out what the stone is. Like, I feel like I'm being pushed into this like mythical adventure to find out what the stone is. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that, that for me right now, I have the last dream I had about it. I was walking along a river bank and I saw it. 
and it was just kind of like sitting in the grass as opposed to being in the water it was now you didn't have to you didn't have to do anything major it was just there it's getting closer and closer mm -hmm. yeah so wow. yeah <laughs> so that's that's my dream I love how if you track a theme over time I love how it will start to evolve it'll start to shift yeah and so I'm so I'm so interested and curious to see what happens in terms of like not only the elemental shift that might be happening, which is that this stone is no longer in the depths of the water. It is now with you on earth. There you go. Yeah. yeah. But I also wonder if, I wonder if you ever will uncover like an exact meaning and exact definition of what the stone is or not. I'll, I would be curious about that as well. I know to be continued. One other funny thing too, is that I was gifted. Um, it was fascinating. I was gifted a necklace just by somebody who didn't know about these dreams huh. of red Jasper. And it's okay. like this really luscious, beautiful, ornate necklace of all pieces of red Jasper. Ooh. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And I haven't even, oh my God, I have a crystal book right by me. I literally, <laughs> like, this is like my life. It's like, I'm just yes. surrounded by crystal books. But I feel like it's like, well, maybe we should like look up and see what Jasper is. Do it. Because that feels significant, especially that it was gifted to you. Yeah. And it, and I mentioned to her, I said, wow, that's really interesting. Oh, red Jasper isn't listed in here. There's Mook Jasper. Oh, here it is. Physical strength, stability of energies, the root and sexual chakras. What are chakras, you may ask? This term gets thrown around a lot, but I wanted to take a moment to clarify it and provide a bit of historical context. Chakras are related to an ancient Indian practice of kundalini yoga, which Kiki also references. Kundalini refers to a life force energy that lies dormant at the base of the human spine. This is often conceptualized by the symbol of a serpent. Kundalini yoga refers to practices to awaken this energy and release it throughout the body for purposes of health and healing. Chakras refer to the various energy centers in the body that this kundalini energy passes through. The number, quality, and location of chakras varies from teacher to teacher. The ancient Indian spiritual teachings, called the Upanishads, speak of this life force called Atman, or the underlying true essence of every living thing. Atman energy flows through the human body along specific lines of energy called the nadis, similar to the concept of energy meridians in traditional Chinese medicine, which may be familiar to you if you've studied or experienced acupuncture. In distinct places in the human body, these energy lines cross one another at certain points, the nadi lines folding and twisting over each other to form knots of energy. These knots are chakras. The heart is believed to be the center of consciousness, and some texts describe over 72,000 nadi lines converging at the heart center. Others mention several hundred thousand. The concept of chakras has continued to evolve over time, and the Theosophical Society here in the U.S. in the late 19th century latched onto these concepts and applied their own beliefs to them, including their holding the number seven with special spiritual significance. 
Thus, their concept of these seven chakras was born. In 1977, Christopher Hills wrote a book called Nuclear Evolution, Discovery of the Rainbow Body, in which he listed these seven chakras as corresponding to the seven colors of the rainbow. This idea stuck and became a digestible way of dipping a toe into the complex world of chakras in the West. While this system is by no means exhaustive, it is meant to be an introduction to this complex and ancient concept that there are certain parts of the body where energy is concentrated, and that energy can be a gateway towards greater spiritual and energetic sensitivity and awareness. Bringing balance to the body via the various energy meridians and chakras is one of the key concepts of energy healing. But that's a topic we will save for another episode. Now, back to my interview with Kiki. So it stimulates the base chakra and the energetic kundalini serpent that dwells at the base of the spine. Uh-huh. So creative energy, manifesting creative ideas, releasing shame and guilt around sexual issues. Woo, we're getting deep, aren't we? <laughs> but I was going to say, I think that for most of us, especially here in the U.S., most of us have some healing to do in that realm. And that goes back to that nine of swords. Mm-hmm. If you're having that shame and that guilt around those kinds of issues, I encourage you to find the people that, that help you work through that because you shouldn't carry shame and guilt for those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Because the root chakra is all about the connection to being human. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about our sexuality as a part of our humanity and a part of our divinity, that is a really big shift for so many yeah. of us. Yeah. And uh, golly, me personally, I always detached those two things. Like I was like, well, I just, and and going back to that idea of the chakras, I always say, well, I work in the upper chakras. I work in the higher chakras. I'm always working. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And so there always felt like a detachment, but it really is. You have to remember that you're in this third dimension, you have a body and the body I mean, like we have hormones in us that, yeah. that that crave things. And and I think we want to feel love and we want to be loved and we want to love other people too. Yeah. And I love that idea. I don't, and this is another thing that's not my wheelhouse, but I love that idea of Kundalini energy. It's a serpent that goes through your entire being. Ooh. It doesn't just hang out in your belly. It doesn't just hang out in your pineal gland. It, it starts from- What the, an image. Right, Yeah. I've been having a lot of dreams about snakes lately. Like my most recent one was that I was in the water as I very often am. And there were snakes in the water and I was having to like step on their heads so they wouldn't attack me. Wow. That's really interesting. And I know. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, I guess you have to determine like, you know, what your relationship with snakes are you know like are you afraid of them like when you're awake or is it just was there a panic in the dream or exactly it's it's also so interesting to look at the different layers of meaning because obviously I can have personal associations with snakes like oh yeah when I see one out in the wild it my automatic reaction is to feel scared and Mm -hmm. to you know scan the environment to make sure that I'm safe but I also love thinking about kind of the more like archetypal associations of these symbols as well, because snakes are associated with lots of different 
deities and they've been seen as holy in many cultures. And so for me, sometimes I look at these moments as, wow, what have I been trained to feel afraid of? So I'm looking at the nine of swords again now, like what have I been conditioned to believe is scary that actually may hold some kind of deeper or even higher symbolism if I can be brave enough to face it and look at it. That's really interesting too. Where, yeah, there's a lot of conditioning that we have about serpents and, and even the idea makes me think of it's sinful, you know, mm -hmm. the, the first sin. Yeah. The fall in the garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. But the snakes are also representative of this like powerful ability to transform, yeah. to become, become knowledgeable, to have that connection to higher self. Mm -hmm. Wow. I know. I also found a snake skin recently, which is interesting Ooh. too. I know. So there's something, there's something brewing for me with mm. snakes for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a big, a, a grand awakening, right? Like this, this, this feeling of, of waking to. I know. Yeah. We'll see. It's always unfolding. That's the thing. These conversations are just little slices of this process. Yeah, it's it's certainly a puzzle, isn't it? And, yes. and we're just, you know, finding new puzzle pieces, their their spot in the in the grand picture. <laughs> it's exciting. I think it's super yeah. fun. Something that I would encourage you to play around with, by the way, is there's a dream, sort of experiential dream process that I really enjoy. This is written by uh, Leslie Ellis, who's a dream expert. She has a really cool method where you re-enter a dream just kind of in your imagination. You can be journaling about it if that's helpful for you. I know you're a Gemini. I know you're a writer. Um, mm. But re-entering a dream and casting yourself as like a different character in the dream. So casting yourself as either the stone itself and seeing what comes up for you as like, okay, I'm playing the character of the stone. Like what's happening? What am I feeling? Or casting yourself as a different character in the dream, like someone that you were handing the stone to and seeing what happens. So, oh my God, that is <laughs> so incredible. I love that. And I love that idea of re-entering the dream too, because sometimes when we wake up, we feel like there was not the resolution that exactly. you needed. And so it feels powerful to re-enter. I know that there have been times where I've woke up and it's like, I don't want the dream to be done yet. So it's almost like I go into like a in between into a liminal Definitely. mental space where I'm in between sleeping and awake. And I just try and use my mind and my imagination or even go into a meditation yeah. where I continue the dream and 100%. see where it goes. Mm -hmm. Um I haven't done it with this one. So thank you. That's really good. That's really great advice. And that's, you know, hopefully something that's something, you know, I've, I've had a couple of people contact me and say they've dreamt about me recently. Oh. And so maybe that's even something where I could like pass that wisdom along to them. Like, well, why don't you revisit that dream? Try this. I know it's what it's related to what Carl Jung would have called like an active imagination technique. And so oh, for, for anyone who's interested in like, you know, acting, drama, like playing things out. It can be, it has a lot of really therapeutic potential. So I love it. I love that idea. And, and I love that idea too. That, that's something I'll certainly pass along to people that even in tarot readings, if you're getting yeah. the moon card a lot, or you're getting the nine of swords, or you're having these sort of like dreamy tarot cards that could suggest that, that you're receiving symbolism through mm -hmm. dreams, this might be an exercise that they can go walk away from the reading with. 
it's oh, um, awesome. That's wonderful. I love it. Yay. <laughs> well, good. Okay. So let's like shift a little bit. And if we want to talk more about dreams, we can, but I of would course. love to hear more about your work, Kiki. So teach us about um, your book. I want to hear more about a curious future. I was lucky enough to get a PDF copy from you and I was, I was riveted. I read through it all in like one sitting. It was so fun. Oh my God. Thank you. I'm oh, so glad you like it. I loved I'm so it. glad that you enjoyed the book. And I'm really glad that you got to read it. Um, gosh, well, where do I start? Okay. So uh, <laughs> it's so funny. I'm also at the point where I'm like, I don't know what else to say about a curious future. So I'll start with the very simple a curious future is a book that I wrote that is um, I call it an invitation to divination. And what it's meant to be is a very loving guide through various types of divination practices. And what divination is to me is it's an observation of symbols and an interpretation of symbols and omens as a way to receive a message. It may give you insight into things that are going to unfold in the future, but I don't like to limit divination to just this like exercise of like, this is what's going to happen. That feels like a common misconception that I hear a lot is that, oh, this yeah. must pertain to like a future outcome. And I'm glad you're saying that it, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Yeah. Divination can be as simple as you receive an omen or a message that helps you understand things that might be out of your present scope. Yeah. Um, and that might be something like, Hey, keep this in mind, mm -hmm. you know, because maybe somebody's feeling this way right now, or maybe you have somebody in your life who needs you to have this sort of like whatever, nine of swords energy, yeah. you know, different approach. But I think that for me, the book was really important because I wanted people to recognize that while I love tarot and astrology and maybe some of the big divination forms. Mm -hmm. And when I say big divination forms, the really popular ones. And complex. They are very complex, aren't they? They, they take a long time. And, and I'm glad you said that too, because with the book, I wanted people to feel like they can read the book and find something so they could just step into divination and use it right away. Mm -hmm. I love that. Oh, yeah. Awesome. It was a lot of fun too, to just, you know, for me personally, because there were some forms of divination I wrote about where I was like, yep, know it, know it, know it, no problem. And then there were others where I was like, this is going to be a deep dive. I got to learn a lot. And even in the process of studying divination, you learn a lot about yourself. So yes. my hope is, is that when people read A Curious Future or start to even branch out and go, you know what, I like this form of divination. So I'm going to go buy every book on this form of divination or take every class on this form of divination, they're going to learn a lot about themselves. Yeah. And so that's something important too. Divination isn't something you necessarily are always doing for other people. Exactly. We think exactly. Yeah. You always go and see somebody to get divination. So divination certainly is a practice that is a service to other people and to your community, but it can also be something that you use to support your own wellness and your own self-exploration. Yes. Like a tool for feeling connected on a regular basis. Yeah. That's the way that I use divination in my life. My practice is that I, I mean, as of now, 
what I like to do is wake up in the morning, do a meditation and just pull a card or a tarot card or two yeah, or an Oracle card. It just depends on what my mood is that day, sure. but it always leaves me feeling like, okay, no matter what happens today, I've had a meaningful exchange with, you know, whatever I view to be my higher power. I feel a moment of feeling seen and heard and connected. And I get to hold that today. And that feels really good. That's beautiful. And that's a really powerful way to start the day where you just like, you check in with yourself. Mm -hmm. And while you were talking, I had a really weird deja vu moment. Oh, cool. So that had to be really important. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> there was some really powerful value to what you were saying. I think that that, that practice is so powerful. And, and you could always say, well, no matter what happens through the day, I took time for myself. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that your book is called a curious future because the point of these practices is not always getting answers. It, that's not necessarily what divination is. It's oh, about staying curious and connected. Yes. I love that. You can look at it as little breadcrumbs, right? Yeah. Instead of just going like, okay, well now I looked at the book and I got the definition. Mm -hmm. So I know that this is going X, Y, and Z are going to happen. Mm -hmm divination is a practice that, yeah, it keeps your curiosity open. It makes you curious. It uses your divination. It uses a, a hidden side. I, I, yeah, I really like that. It's Divination shouldn't give you all the answers like an Excel spreadsheet. It, it wouldn't be fun if it, if it was that, I think. Yeah. Maybe it would to some people, but not me. I completely agree. And you talk about this some in the book, but I find it endlessly fascinating that humans have been relating to the world this way for centuries upon centuries. It's, it's a part of how we're wired to, um, to seek connection with something else. That is a wonderful way to word it. I wish I worded it that way in the book with the wiring. It is, it is in our wiring, isn't it? Ever since humans could divine, they have. Exactly. They've always found a way to go, I need to have a conversation with God exactly. or however you want to define that word. I need to create this type of experience. Yeah, I need to have, a. it's a, a deeper sense of self and our encounter with reality and super reality mm -hmm. or esoteric or spiritual reality, however you want to put it, I guess. There's always been a, knowing that there's something beyond this and, and divination is a means to tap into that beyond. Oh, I love that. We've always, we've always been divining. We really have. <laughs> um, another thing I'm curious about just for you personally is whether there have been any specific divination practices or even divination moments that you've had that were really like formative for you. So I've been drawing, but I've also been coloring the tarot. <gasps> oh, that's this. so cool. So, so, so I'm Kiki just pulled out this awesome tarot. Yeah. It's it's based on the Rider Waite imagery, but it's just a tarot coloring book. Yes, exactly. So yeah, I've I colored every single Rider Waite Smith tarot card. Wow. I'm obsessed with Pamela Coleman Smith, and <sighs> I just think that she's just one of the most precious magic workers. Yes. And I'm so thankful for her. Pixie. Yes. For <laughs> Pixie's wisdom. And shout um, out to Pixie. We love her. I know always, always, always her picture is in my room. Even like she's nice. always with me. One dream 
I, while I was drawing the tarot, I was drawing a tarot card in my dream. Wow. And so I had this dream where it was, it almost felt like the strength card, which is of this beautiful, card. yeah, one of my favorites, one of the most important tarot cards, in my opinion. Um, you know, where in the Rider Waite Smith, it shows this beautiful woman and she's kind of like in this gown and she has the infinity symbol over her and she's pulling up open the jaws of, of a lion. And I was drawing a card that felt very strength-like. And I kept hearing this voice in my head telling me what else to drawing the card. Wow. And so was, Put a basket in the card. Ooh, you should draw these little flowers, you know? And so while that was not a divination experience, it was a divination experience. So maybe that's a great example because yes. it wasn't like a a divination experience as in like, oh, well, I got this really clear message and then this really clear thing happened. It was a mystical, beautiful, powerful experience where I've been drawing all of these sacred mm -hmm. symbols within the tarot cards and it downloaded so deeply that I dreamt about it. And, and maybe it was Pixie visiting me, telling me to, to continue oh. drawing something within a card. What a beautiful thought. Yeah. So maybe not the most <laughs> straightforward divination examples, but, but, but meaningful. Yeah. And I think that, that that's important to share too, because maybe when people are working through a curious future or whatever book of divination mm -hmm. you've got, you're going to have those experiences and yeah. they're going to be profoundly personal and private and magical. Yes, this is actually, I'm so glad that you brought this type of example because for so many of us, especially those of us who struggle with things like anxiety, if we're getting into these practices, there's always this like fear and kind of barrier around like doing it correctly. Ooh, yeah. And so when you bring up a story like that, it's a reminder that the forces at play that we are interacting with are not, you know, following a certain set of rules or even logic. For sure. Like we are interacting with something that is just completely, you know, ineffable. Yeah. And so if you're having an experience, lean into it, follow it. It doesn't have to follow any specific paradigm. Give yourself the freedom yeah. to just explore because your dream was kind of just opening up that world for you. Ah, oh, that's a really great sentiment. I really appreciate that. Learning to view the world symbolically has been one of the most healing experiences for me. It makes everything you observe an opportunity to deeply connect with yourself and the world around you and the world beyond you. It's powerful. I'm nodding my head vigorously. Like yeah. Yes, Kiki. <laughs> yes. It's yeah. really, it can be really profound. Yeah. Golly. And, and the thing that I like about the conversation we're having too, and what you're doing is it's an experiment in vulnerability, which Absolutely. is so important. And it's special for me because, you know, I love talking to people, but I'm also maybe because I don't have the water signs in my big three, I'm not as vulnerable as yes. in revealing. So this has been a special opportunity to be, to, to kind of lean into that and just be a awesome. little bit more showing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's special too. That's so important in people's asking for help Yes, and also breaking down those barriers of that nine of swords. Again, when you are vulnerable and revealing and transparent, you instantaneously remove yourself from isolation mm -hmm. and anxiety. That's right. 
It's the toll that you pay in order to connect, to connect in a, in a real way. Mm-hmm. You have to give something, you have to leave something behind and yeah. your vulnerability is the toll that you pay. It's the sacred offering. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I appreciate you. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Do you want to talk to us about what else you're working on? Like, is there anything that you want to leave us with? And then uh, where can listeners like find you if they want to follow you, follow your work? Oh, great. Um, well, I would say on social media, I'm most active on Twitter. Okay. And my name there is Kiki D333. Nice. Um, but I'm also on like Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and, and you're all welcome to just meet up with me there. Um, the best way to kind of like find all and navigate all those social media things other than Twitter is to go to my website, which is kikidombrowski.com. Excellent. And you can search Kiki Tarot and I just pop up at the top because I know my last name is long. Fabulous. <laughs> I'd love that you got that narrowed down. You've got that on lock. We've figured it out at this Kiki point. Tarot. <laughs> I know yeah. that's awesome. Well, yay. This was such a delight. Oh, what a joy talking to you. Thank you for sharing yourself with us so openly. I really learned a lot and I know that my listeners will too. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a treat. Yay. Thanks, Kiki. That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you again to my guest, Kiki Dombrowski. Your exuberance and passion are incredibly inspiring. Thank you for sharing some of your stunningly magical inner world with us. Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? Please drop me an email at psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com. That's psychemagic with a C podcast at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. I'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at psyche underscore magic. Editing for this episode was by Grace Fuse. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Daniel Higby, Michael McMillan, and Grace Fuse. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, www.psychemagicpodcast.com. Psyche Magic is available via Anchor across all podcasting platforms. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and feel free to leave us a review if you're so inclined. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. If you must sleep through a third of your life, are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Until next time.